0: Thank you, Seth. Very much. Loved all those songs. Thought they were very appropriate as well. Matthew six. Um, I'll explain why we're in Matthew this morning instead of Mark uh, after I read this, and then after we pray. But Matthew six twenty-five through thirty-three says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will not he much more clothe you of you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You can be seated. And while you're being seated, will you also bow with me in prayer? Father, I'm very grateful for the fact that you've brought us here this morning. I'm very grateful also for your church. Lord, the church in itself, that word means called out ones. And I thank you, Lord, that you've called us out of darkness and put us into your marvelous light. I thank you that you've brought each one of us here this morning. And I know that this word is for each one of us this morning. So I pray, please help us to be attentive. Give us grace, Lord, to have open Ears and open eyes and hearts that are soft and ready to receive the good word sown into that soil. And I pray that your spirit would produce a crop in us 30, 60, 100 times as much from the word that we hear this morning. I pray that it has lasting, lasting ripple effects in all of our lives and even changes the trajectory in some people's lives today when it comes to this topic. Lord, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic this morning is the topic of fear, and I've titled the sermon this morning, Are You Controlled by Fear? Sometimes this happens midweek. This week it happened Thursday. I felt very strongly, you need to preach on this this week. And that always, when I get that, sort of makes me fear because I've already prepped for one sermon and then I realize, uh oh, now I only have this many hours to prep for a whole new sermon. What I found is when the Lord does that to me, changes the message immediately he always provides, <laughs> which he's done again. And I, uh, I had exactly what I needed to prep for this sermon in that amount of time, and so I'm thankful. As a society, we are more safe, more secure in many ways than we've ever been. Let me explain. We have more seat belts, We have more airbags. We have more helmets, medicines, medical equipment, hospitals, ambulances, vitamins, supplements, and clean water than we've had even just 50 years ago, if you compare it to 50 years ago. Uh, Not to mention 100 years, not to mention 500 years. Though we are safer and live longer and are more comfortable as a society than we've ever been, and that's the truth, than we've ever been, what I'm seeing is that we're also more fearful and more anxious as a society than we've ever been. What I'm seeing is that fear and anxiety that's plaguing the unsaved around us is also trying to make its way into the church and among the people of God. I'm seeing it. You're seeing it. You're feeling it. You're doing it, perhaps. Anxiety and worry and stress are actually becoming so common that we don't even talk anymore about eliminating them We talk about managing them. Anxiety management. Fear management. Stress management. I'm here to tell you, not only can the Lord Jesus reduce those things in your life, He can completely remove their grip and control they have over you. I do not want any of you to be controlled by fear because the Lord doesn't want any of you to be controlled by fear and I am for lack of a better word afraid (laughs) that it is creeping into some of your lives and trying to creep in mine too and I feel it I know you feel it maybe you've even succumbed to it we'll talk more about that in just a second but Over the past year, we've been seeing something happening more and more often, and it's absolutely rooted in fear. And as you know, fear, when it is fully grown, it gives birth to something we call panic. So these are things that people have been what we call panic buying over the past year. You've all seen it, year or more. There was a panic buy of toilet paper. There was a panic buy of cleaning supplies. There was a panic buy of hand sanitizer. I remember conversations of, hey, guess what? There's a local bar making sanitizer. We can buy it from this bar. And while you're waiting for them to make it, of course, you can enjoy some beverages. (laughs) There was a panic buy of food. You you remember going to Walmart and certain grocery stores. They're being... No Clorox, there being no bleach, there being no hand sanitizer, there being certain meats that are gone, certain cheeses and dairy products and all these things, just gone. There was also panic buying of ammunition. There was sort of a perfect storm made of ammunition and guns because of COVID reducing jobs at those places. Then the threat of what if Biden gets elected, which I, he did, as you know. He's, going to, he's against guns and ammunition and things like that. What if he reduces our ability to get those? Then there was also riots and defund the police, and everybody was rushing saying, what if I have to defend myself? It was a perfect storm around ammunition and guns. Then the latest one has been this. Gasoline. Panic by gasoline. 11 states were affected by this. 12,000 gas stations in those 11 states ran out of gas. And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something because the problem's already resolved. I want to tell you something. Had you not heard about the possible threat of a gas shortage I'm here to tell you, there would not have been a gas shortage. Some of you didn't do certain things, even things that would have been beneficial to you, for fear, what if we run out of gas? Some of you rushed to fill up your tanks when it didn't actually even need it. It was just a little low. But you rushed to fill it up. Because what if, what if, what if, Fear is controlling some of us, and it need not. Had Amy not told me about a gas shortage, I would not have known. You you would have gone to life as normal. We would not have known about it. We wouldn't have seen the effects. I really don't think we should have. I'm 99% sure we would not have seen the effects of it. Did you know that a dense fog... A dense fog, large enough to cover seven city blocks, and be 100 feet deep. Did you know it's comprised of roughly six billion droplets of water, which, if collected into one place, would fill one glass of water? Did you know that? The six billion water droplets. That can create a fog large enough, large enough to cover seven city blocks and be 100 feet deep, and cripple and handicap a, that section of town for that long, has just the volume of one glass of water, something that carries that little real volume, has the ability to. Hinder the normal function of an entire community and cripple it in many ways. Fear, when it's not captured and contained rightly, has the ability to hinder the normal, proper function of the Christian life and even cripple it. Once you start dissecting that fear into all the hundreds and thousands of what I call what-ifs, once you start slicing up that fear into all little parts, it will... Hinder your growth, halt your spiritual growth even, and completely handicap you. Listen to this. All of our fear stems from a failure to understand or to apply God's word. All of our fear stems from a failure to understand or apply God's word. You need this word this morning. Okay, listen to this. Please listen very closely. You need this because I promise you this is creeping into the church and it's not supposed to. It's creeping into your life, and it's not supposed to. In the Old Testament, the Lord had the people of Israel purposefully stand out from the world in how they dressed, even in how the men wore their hair and their beards, and what they ate, everything. They were noticeably different on the exterior For us, New Testament Christians, there's some ways that we're also noticeably different on the exterior. Thank you, women, for your modest clothing. We appreciate that very much. It shows your godliness. But our difference is really also supposed to show itself primarily in how we live. The things we do and the things we don't do. The things that are different from the world. We see the world acting this way. We don't act that way. We see them controlled and gripped by fear, panic buying. What if, what if, what if we don't have enough? And we're supposed to be different from that. God meets all of our needs, and we trust in him. So in our fight against fear, I want to talk about three things we need to understand and apply. These three things are the purpose of God, the promise of God, and the person of God. If you're taking notes, the purpose of God... The promise of God and the person of God. Let's start by talking about the purpose of God. In verse 25, you might have seen that Jesus started by saying this, didn't he? He said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Life more than food and the body more than clothing. Church, we exist for a higher reason. Your body isn't just for food or clothing. Your purpose rises above food and fashion. You exist in this world not to become like the world, not to worry about everything they worry about, not to fear everything they fear. Christ Fellowship, instead, you are to be continually molded into the image of Christ. Christ. Living like Christ did, in line with the will of the king, advancing his kingdom. God created you. Listen to this. God created you to glorify him by loving him and loving others. God created you to glorify him by loving him and loving others. Listen to what Paul said in Romans twelve two. In Romans 12, too, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How, Paul? Tell us. By the renewal of your mind, by the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice he says, by testing. Everything that comes across your eyeballs, everything that comes through your ears, needs to be tested. Does this line up with the word of God? Everything that comes before your eyes and into your ears needs to be tested. And you are transformed by the renewal of your mind. We renew our minds by putting into our, our minds what's truth. Not, listen to this news. You should be afraid because of this. We all know that if we actually did everything that the news tells us we ought to do to stay safe, you would never leave the house And then there's tons of soaps and and perfumes and all these things that you can't use either. I guess we're just supposed to stay in our house and I don't know what we're supposed to do. Be afraid only. (laughs) And don't exist. Don't, Don't live to glorify God. Don't go out. Don't take risks. Don't do that. What if? What if? There's a thousand what ifs. Your purpose in this world is to be a little version of Christ. the, The word Christian means Christ follower. It has the idea of being a little Christ in this world. You're a little version of him to the world. And Jesus was never worried or feared that God might not take care of him. Jesus never worried or feared that perhaps God might not take care of him. Listen to what John MacArthur said. If God gave you life, if he wants you to live, if he brought you into his kingdom, then he has a purpose for you to fulfill in his kingdom, to his glory, and so he will sustain you to fulfill it. Listen to this. If God gave you life, if he wants you to live, if he brought you into his kingdom, then he has a purpose for you to fulfill in his kingdom, to his glory, and so he will sustain you to that fulfillment. He will sustain you. Why would he create you? Draw you to himself. Grant you repentance. Give you faith to believe. Forgive your sins. Adopt you into his family and appoint you to advance the kingdom and then abandon you and not care for you. It does not make sense, does it? You've trusted in him for all the things concerning your salvation, to all the things pertaining to all of that, your salvation, your sanctification, Trust him to also take care of all of your needs. Trust him to be there for you and to help you in the midst of panic that's happening around you. God will help you and protect you in the midst of it all. He doesn't stop caring for you after he adopts you. He only cares for you even more. You only need to be really concerned with obeying him. Your primary focus needs to be what if I don't obey him? That's the only really what if perhaps you need to be what ifing about. That's your purpose is to obey him. You don't need to fear and worry what will happen day by day. Jesus says in verse 26 of our text look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, of not, are you not of more value than they? So he goes what, he does what we call a lesser to greater argument. Lesser to greater. Look at the birds, and now won't he do this for you? Look at how, what they do, and obviously you're greater than the birds, and so won't he do this? And let's break it down. He says they don't sow or reap. Sowing and reaping is, is a job that they would do. Sowing and reaping means I put into the ground hoping and praying that a crop will come and then once that crop comes, he says, or gather into barns. We gather that into barns and we save it so that we'll have something so that we can say, oh, look, there it is. I'll get it out of the barn. I've stored it up. Jesus saying, birds don't do that. Instead, They go out and look for what they need, and they find it, and he feeds them every day. They look for it. God brings it to them. That's what he's saying, and they do that every day, and he feeds them every day, and that perfectly lines up with Jesus and how he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Day by day, we look to God for our needs, trusting and believing that he'll meet them. And not going into that day with, what if? What if? What if he doesn't? Yes, I'm looking at the past thousands and thousands and thousands of days of my life, and I see that he's provided for me every single one of those. But what if today's different? Yes, I'm, I'm looking at the 100% success rate God has in my life, But what if today he fails? What if today everything just falls off the cliff? What if today my gas runs out? What if today I don't have enough hand sanitizer? What if today we run out of toilet paper? You need to know that you exist in a church body for a reason. There may be times when things get little. And there may even be times when you need help. And let me tell you, that's one reason why we exist in a body. It's so we can depend on each other, lean on each other. Even in the early church, people were selling land and giving money to the apostles to give to the poor. They didn't have enough. Well, I have extra. Let me help you, person who doesn't have enough right now, so you can get back on your feet and keep, then keep going. We, what I've noticed is... Um, Some of it's just the way we were raised, and and I get that. But what I've noticed is we will suffer alone and worry alone and fret alone way too long. And if we would have just gone to people who love us so much, we'd be fine. I know we're afraid to ask for help sometimes because we say, well, I don't want to be that person that's always asking for things. I don't think any of us have to worry about falling into that category. If you've known somebody for three, five, ten years, and they've never come to you and asked for help in some way, if they come to you, do you think, oh, there they go. Now they're going to ask me for everything. No. I've never asked Butch, Pam, I've never asked any of you for financial help. But I know for a fact, I know for a fact if I called you and said, can we meet for lunch? And I said, listen, this is hard for me to say. However, Amy and I are in a real tight spot right now. We've already missed a house payment. We're hurting bad right now. I know we'll get back on our feet soon, but can I just borrow a little money just for the time being? I hate to even ask this. I'm so sorry. Even if you only had $20 to your name, I feel like you'd give it to me. You know why? Because you love me. And I don't think at any moment in that conversation, you would say, oh gosh, listen to this mooch. Here he goes. If I give him this, he's gonna be asking me for something every week. None of you would think that. So guess what? I will not think that about you. I think We fear needlessly, even if God lets things get lean for you. He's let things get lean for the Ezels, okay? Things have been lean for the Ezels before, but guess what? We always had what we needed. I've never missed a meal, ever. I mean, guys, a pack of ramen noodles is 22 cents, okay? 22 cents. You'll find that in your couch, You're not going to miss a meal, even if it's ramen noodles for a little while, and that's okay. But I'm telling you right now, many of you fear and suffer needlessly because you forget you're part of a body. And there's too many lone ranger Christians in Christianity. We suffer needlessly, and we ought not. We exist for a different purpose and a higher purpose. And in fulfilling that purpose, we'll find we are fulfilled and our fears are chased away. Let's next talk about the promise of God. How do the promises of God help us fight fear? Later on in our text, look at verses 31 through 33. Jesus says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, but... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That is a promise that you can take to the bank. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Our first thoughts don't need to be all the what-ifs dissecting that fear into a billion what-ifs and creating a fog that has now crippled us. And hinders our spiritual growth. Our first thoughts need to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's why he says, seek first. Not start asking what if first. Have you ever heard the saying that says this? Those that have Bibles that are falling apart have lives that aren't. Those that have Bibles that are falling apart have lives that aren't. You've seen some people's Bibles that they've had since, oh, long ago, and they read it so often, and they use it so often. It's falling apart. The saying means those that are in the Bible that much, saturating their lives, meeting with God that much, so that their Bibles are falling apart, guess what? Look at their lives. Their lives aren't falling apart. Why? They seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he provides, and they don't fear Because they know by that point, the God of this Bible, if what he says here is true, my fear is completely illogical. And when I look around at all these people strangled, choked, panicking because of fear, I pray for them and I pity them and I tell them the good news. And they look at me and they say, How, how, what, how, or how? And I say, Let me tell you about the Lord. It's a great witness. When everyone's falling apart and fretting and you're not, it's a great witness because they don't get that. They can't understand. There's a peace that passes all understanding. They can't understand that. We seek God and find Him in His Word and in prayer. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The kingdom of God part. How we seek God and find him is in his word and in prayer. That's the seeking the kingdom of God part. And then the righteousness part is we seek God and find him by walking in loving obedience. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's the prayer and the word. And his righteousness, that's walking in loving obedience. Because we're living a righteous life by that point when we do that. The Word of God shows us uh, example after example of God taking care of His people. Listen to Psalm 3410. Psalm 3410. It says this. David says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David's basically saying, saying, I've seen young lions, these creatures that are built for finding taking down, attacking their prey. And he mentions young ones. These are ones that also still have their youthful vigor. They're not limited yet by age. He says, I've seen young lions lack for hunger because of hunger. But let me tell you what I've never seen. Those who seek the Lord, I've never seen them lacking any good thing. That sounds an awful like, a lot like our verse that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. They lack no good thing, those who seek the Lord. And what did Jesus just say? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Sounds a lot like that. You'd almost think that the Lord Jesus wrote the Old Testament or something like that. He definitely inspired it, didn't he? Listen to Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five. Psalm 37.25, I've been young and now I'm old, meaning I've lived a long life. Let me tell you what I've never seen in my long life, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God's always taken care of them. I've never even seen their children begging for bread. They've always had what they needed. When they were seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Philippians 4, we don't have a slide for this, but it's fine because I just want to uh, point this out. In Philippians 4, 11 through 12, I want you to recall where Paul was writing the book of Philippians from. He was writing it from jail. You need to know that. You also need to know this. It's called the epistle of joy because he talks about joy so much in it. And he was in jail writing about all this joy he had. He stepped past his understanding. Sounds like he had it. He says this, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We'll talk about that secret in just a second, but Sometimes you have a lot, and sometimes you have a little. When you come into God's kingdom, you can trust him, though, in both situations. He'll always meet your needs. Paul goes later on to say in uh, verse 19 of that same chapter, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you know what you do when you let fear grip you and cause you to panic and start acting like the world and panic buying, and what about this, what if this, what if we don't have enough this, what if everybody buys that and we don't have enough? You're not trusting God, you're not trusting his promises. That's what it boils down to. That's why I said in the very beginning That uh, quote that I gave you all, all of our fears stems from a failure to understand or to apply God's word. It all stems from there. Well, Paul, before he said that in verse 19 about God meeting every need of ours, he shared the secret to how he's learned to be brought low and to abound, how he's learned to have plenty and also face hunger. And the verse right after that is actually one that you all know very well, but you might not have remembered its context. The context is having little and having much. Be brought low, abound. After that, he says, I've learned the secret how to live like this. And then he says this, this one that we all know. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is in the context of having little, being brought low. Sometimes abounding, yes, sometimes having plenty. But his secret was... Christ. How do I get through this? Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the all things part really had more of a negative part to it because he was basically saying, I can get through all these things. Now, some people use that verse to talk about these great athletic feats and things like that. I can do all things through Christ. I don't doubt that the Lord has given that person that ability to do those things. But this verse has a a bit of a different context than that. So we're talking about now the person of God. Let's go into the purpose of God. Person, we've talked about the purpose, we've talked about the promise. Now let's talk about the person of God. The reason why David could say he's never seen the righteous forsaken is because there was one who was forsaken by God on our behalf so we could be righteous. God will not forsake his people because he forsook his son. And if you're in him, you have his righteousness clothed on you. He looks at you through lenses that see my righteous child. That's how he views you now if you're in Christ. The Lord Jesus who cried out, My God. My God, why have you forsaken me, that Jesus? I want, to now make, I want to now make an argument for the greater to the lesser. Earlier we made one from the lesser to the greater. Birds and then you, believer. I want to make now one from the greater to the lesser. The opposite of what we saw earlier. If God provided salvation for you by sending you his dear son, And if by faith you've put your trust in what he did by shedding his blood, taking the punishment that you deserve, dying, being buried, rising again on the third day, then don't you think he will provide for your physical needs as well? If God's done everything that's required to procure salvation for all those who would ever believe, don't you think he will provide for your physical needs too? And we all say, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't he? But you are tempted and you are pulled to live differently than that. You are. You see everyone around you scrambling, all these unbelievers, and sometimes even believers scrambling, fearing, what if? What if? What if we get sick? What if I lose my job? What if I can't make a house payment? What if people make fun of me? What if people don't like me? What if our child gets sick? What if one of us gets cancer? What if? What if this? What if that? And we fear, and it grips us, and it strangles us, and it keeps us from growing, and it kills our testimony, because we're joining in with our non-believing friends. They're, they're freaking out, and we're like, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm afraid, too. Let's all go get gas right now. Don't live like the world, guys. I want to plead with you. Be different from them. 16 times in the Gospels, 16 different times in the Gospels, we can read Jesus saying, either fear not, don't fear, or don't be afraid. 16 times in the Gospels. If you read through all four Gospels, you'll find 16 different instances where he says, fear not, don't fear, or don't be afraid. You know why it's recorded 16 times? Because he knows you're prone to do it. I'm not bashing anyone who struggles with fear. Not at all. I've already admitted, I feel it too, and sometimes I do it too. What I'm saying is this, our Lord Jesus said it to you 16 times because he knows you're prone to it, and he doesn't want you to do it. His people don't live like that. The person of Christ taught us in our text, listen to this, verse 27, if you still got your Bibles open, verse 27 We're on the screen behind me. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? We're usually gripped by fear because we dissect it into all the what-ifs and become crippled by it, like the fog, like I mentioned earlier. We start to carry the what-ifs to their natural conclusion. It's like, for example... When your mom can't get you on the phone for some reason for an hour, she doesn't usually think, oh, everything's fine. She pictures you tied up, gagged in the back of a trunk and all these drug dealers, and they've already, you know, chopped off a finger, and then they're just trying to get more. I mean, you know, she goes to the extreme, doesn't she? And it's only been an hour, mom. (laughs) Actually, my mom doesn't do that, but I've heard lots of other instances where people do. Um, But we tend to do that with our own what ifs. What What if I lose my job? What if we don't have enough money? What if I can't make the house payments? What if we lose the house? What if we become homeless? What if we then can't get enough food? What if we starve to death? what if we die alone in the streets? And we just take it to this extreme. We go from what if I do this to obviously we're going to die if I don't do that. What if I don't get gas in my tank? I'm going to lose my job. They're going to think I'm a loser at work. They're going to say, hey, we've got a hundred guys better than you. I'm not going to find another job. What if I don't find another job? We're going to lose the house. We're going to be homeless. We're going to die starved in the streets. Do you see what you're doing with your fear? You've just dissected it into all those what-ifs, and it strangled you. And you're not growing, you're not trusting. You're being controlled by fear, and it's brought you to your knees. We always go, we seem to go right to the worst thing, which I guess is death, right? Not for the Christian, though, is it? Butch and I were joking one day about... um, Somebody said, well, I'm above ground. Remember that? And uh, someone else said, it's better than the alternative. And I, I said, actually, no, for us, it's, it's not too bad. That's pretty good. <laughs> Death's pretty great for us, actually. Of course, my loved ones will miss me. But listen to what Jesus said. Talking about death. Okay, what if, what if the biggest what if happens? What if you die? John 11:25 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the, res- I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he said, do you believe this? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For us, the worst thing that can happen is the best thing that can happen. So the end result of all your what-ifs, the absolute worst case scenario, Jesus has that covered too. So the person of God has procured your salvation. The person of God has given you an example to live by. The person of God has already conquered your greatest what if. Purpose of God, the promise of God, and the person of God. Those are the three things we've gone over. And all of our fear stems from a failure to understand or to apply God's word. And I want to end with a warning, okay? I want to end with a warning. You might be saying, Come oh, we've heard a lot of warnings already. Fear will diminish your devotion to Christ. Fear will diminish your devotion to Christ. Listen to John 12, 42. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. There were some of the Jewish authorities that believed on the Lord Jesus But because they were Jewish authorities, they had a high position. And if they came out and said, I'm a believer too, they were afraid we might get kicked out of the synagogue. That we might not have a job. We might lose our reputation. Where the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What if I lose my job for standing up for Christ? God will provide for you. What if people make fun of me? God will smile at you. What if people don't like me? God still loves you. Fear will diminish your devotion to Christ. Are any of you, are any of you not walking in full obedience to God in some area of your life because of a what if? Are there any of you right now not doing something that you have felt for a long time, the Lord wants me to do this, but you're not doing it because what if this happens? What if this happens? Lord, I, I hear you, but what if this happens? What if you trust God? Church, what if you trust God with that? You might see God work in a way in your life that you've never seen and completely change the trajectory of your faith. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful he made us missionaries. He taught me so many lessons about trusting him. I'm so grateful. He moved me to sell my house and move to a country where in our town, even even the local people said, don't go to that hospital. People die in that hospital. And our only good hospital was six hours away. But I'm thankful he sent us there. You know why? It made me just have to trust him. What if we get sick? Yeah, what if we get sick? I don't know. I don't know what if we get sick, but I'm gonna still obey him and do what he called me here to do. I'm still gonna teach these people the word of God. What if one of your children gets sick? Yeah, I know. What if they get sick? I don't know. I don't know but I'm still going to trust him and I'm still going to do what he said to do. I don't know. And that's okay, church. It's okay for you to not know the what-ifs. The what-ifs will strangle you and keep you from being as devoted to Christ as you were. These people in the synagogue, they didn't fully speak. They didn't fully obey. They believed. What if I lose my job? What if I lose my reputation? And they missed out. In some areas, I promise you they missed out in some areas. I hope and pray that they eventually said, you know what, forget this fear, forget it. I'm going to follow him. No matter what you all say, I don't care anymore. Imagine if you were like that. Lion-hearted faith. Imagine. (laughs) Second warning. Fear is a characteristic of the wicked in the Bible. Fear is a characteristic of the wicked. In our text, Jesus says, don't worry about this, that, and this, and that. And then in verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. He was speaking to a group of Jews who equated Gentiles with non-saved people. That's why he's saying that. He was not saying, hey, if you're a Gentile, then obviously you're gonna just fear these things. No, he's basically saying unbelievers. He's saying unbelievers worry about this stuff. Unbelievers fear these things. Don't be like unbelievers. Proverbs 28.1. Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked run around scared when no one's even chasing them, when there's not even a real threat. We better go get gas. But we have gas. But what if... The wicked flee when no one pursues. Don't be like that. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Lion Lion-hearted faith. Revelation 21.8. Listen to this list of people that are going to be in the lake of fire. Look at who the first ones are. But as for the cowardly, the faithless... The detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, if you took out the cowardly, we totally get all this. Faithless, of course. Detestable, duh. Murders, uh, yeah, they definitely deserve it. Sexually immoral, absolutely. Sorcerers, ooh, yeah. Witchcraft, no way. Idolatry, oh yeah. People that bow bow down to idols, yeah. Liars. That's a no-brainer. But then the, the first one's the cowardly. Maybe you've never seen this. I didn't like this verse when I first saw it. Because all the other people, I was like, yeah, they're, they're, definitely, they're definitely the bad guys. But then I saw the cowardly, and I said, hey, wait a second. That's, that one more closely resembles me than all the other ones. Ever chickened out? of a witnessing opportunity? Because what if they laugh at me? What if they have some question that I don't know the answer to? What if I don't know what to say? What if I get my words mixed up? You know what? It's safer for me just to keep my mouth shut. You ever done that? Guess what? So has Cohen Ezel. And I hated myself for it afterwards. I thought, what a coward. Stop it, Cohen. Just stop it. Stop putting man's opinion above God's. And it didn't take too many of those instances for me to learn don't do that again. Just obey your master, don't be gripped by fear. I'm going to end with this You're living like an unbeliever when you let yourself be controlled by fear. And that's just the truth of it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. We all needed it. I needed it. I pray that you would help us. Don't let us live like the world. Don't let us succumb to all these fears. We will not panic buy. We will not panic sell. We will not panic anything. We will trust you, to take care of us. We don't look to the world. We don't look to Walmart. We don't look to any of these things. We look to you and your word. Please help your people. Be your people. We pray in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.